Good evening, church family. What a blessing it is to be here. I don't know what the definition of a groupie is, but I sat through that concert and I think I knew the words of every one of those songs. And so I don't know if that's a groupie. Maybe I need to buy a few more out. I have them in cassettes, you know, I, and some of you have them in vinyl, but I'm just so thankful to be here and to be a part and to hear this wonderful music that we've been having. Hasn't God blessed us? It has been a blessing. Uh, this evening, I'll add my uh, two cents to what's going to happen here at the end as well. Um, I'm going to let you know ahead of time that I'm going to give an appeal. And that way you know what to expect. <laughs> and I'm going to ask those, and I've asked Pastor Torkelson to join me. But tonight, the appeal is going to be very specific. If there are some folks here that want to make that recommitment of their life to Christ, It's not a general appeal to everyone, but there may be somebody here that has never done that. Or maybe this week their hearts have been touched, they've drifted away, and they need to make that recommitment to Christ. Pastor Torkelson and I will be right outside the tent, the south side up by those trees. We're going to clear out of here because I know things are going to happen. But we will move right out there. So I just want you to be thinking about that because uh, I've prayed, and I know you've prayed. And I'm going to preach. And God's going to anoint His Word. Do you believe that? And then I'm finished. Then I've done what I've been asked to do. But God may not be finished yet. And that's why I want you to know that when I finish, the Holy Spirit now is still at work. And if God is speaking to your heart and you'd like for us to pray with you, join the pastor and I right out here. Because I want God to do His will here tonight, not just mine. Amen? And so I'm just laying that before you tonight. And we will uh, make that invitation again when we come to it. Would you bow your heads with me? Our Father in heaven, to you be the honor and glory and praise. We have had a foretaste of your kingdom here on this earth. I thank you for so many that has made this happen for us here. Many people we don't even see behind the scenes. And your Holy Spirit has used them in mighty ways. Tonight... As we close with your word, I pray that it will come alive in our hearts that when we leave this place and go home, that our churches will be different because we're different. You'll give us wisdom and insight to know how to be Adventist where we live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a word that uh, marketers use, communication experts They call it branding. When you can get a logo that everybody recognizes. Some of you that have traveled on different parts of the world, you, you know, you land and you get on that bus and you're going and you look out and you begin to see that sign for Pepsi. (laughs) Or you even see the golden arches. You've seen those, haven't you, in some places? Uh, That's branding. You, you see that apple. You know. What is there and what you can expect. It's called branding. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. I ran across this. That in uh, one culture, uh, Pepsi had come up with their new slogan. Come alive with the Pepsi generation. Which in one culture was translated, Pepsi brings your ancestors back from the grave. In China, when Gerber started selling baby food, no, that this is in Africa. 
when Gerber started selling baby food, it used the same packaging in Africa that it used in the United States, which was this picture of this little Caucasian baby on the label. Later that they learned that in Africa, companies routinely put pictures on the label of what's inside because people can't always read. <laughs> you, uh, you, you think of this thing we call labeling or branding. It doesn't always work. It didn't work for her. It was 1941. Lucy Byard was from New York City. She was visiting in the Washington, D.C. area. And she became ill. And whenever you're ill, you look for a hospital, don't you? And that's what she did. She found one, a sign that said hospital. And she went there. And she was sick, deathly ill. But in the examination, they realized that she was a light-skinned black person. And she was refused admission to this hospital. It's hard to imagine, but that happened. She was transferred from the emergency room to another hospital where she died uh, just a day later. And overnight, and it's not a pleasant page in our history, but overnight the regional conference, the region conferences were born, which you don't have as much in California as we have in other parts of the country. But in a little drugstore, Dotson's Drugstore in Washington, D.C., these conferences were formed. Because for a person to go somewhere where they think they're going to get healing and to find that they get turned away when they're sick is probably the greatest example of hypocrisy. I wonder about this idea of branding. I think Paul wondered about it. When people came in contact with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the people who believed in that gospel, what could they expect would happen? Now, it's interesting, if you have your Bibles here, to look up the word church. And especially if you have a study Bible with a concordance in the back of your study Bible. And you look up the word church. And do you know what you find? Now you're looking in your study Bible, under the concordance, for the word church. And you look under Mark. It's not there. The word church does not appear in the Gospel of Mark. Luke, it's not there either. The word church cannot be found in the book of Luke. John, it's not there. The word church does not appear in Mark, Luke, or John. Now, you do find it three times in Matthew. Remember Matthew 16? Jesus said to Peter, upon this rock, I'll what? Build my church. And then in chapter 18, when he talks about a brother that's offended, and he takes them to the church. Three times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you find the word church in the Bible. It doesn't exist. Because the gospel account <clears throat> is not about the church. It's about the foundation of the church, which is the gospel. And I want you to see something tonight, church. That the church 
does not define the gospel. The gospel is the foundation of the church. Do you believe that? And there's something quite interesting when you grasp this fact that I belong to a church that says that their branding is found in Revelation chapter 14, right? Have you read that before? You've got your Bibles. Revelation chapter 14, beginning in verse 6, that this is the uh, verse that we use, the couple verses. Revelation 14, 6. And then I saw another angel flying in the air, in midair, and he had an eternal gospel to those to proclaim who lived upon the earth, to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And he said in a loud voice, Fear God, give glory to Him, because the hour of His judgment has come. And worship Him who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the springs thereof. You see, that's our banner. That's our sign. We say, as a church, a church that is founded upon the everlasting gospel. I want to know what people can expect when they see that sign that says out here, SDA camp meeting, huh? wonder what people would expect if they came in here. What can they expect if they come to your church and where I worship? Paul was very, very clear about this. Would you open with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5? And our last verses we're going to look at tonight. Because he's doing some branding. I want to take out of that time capsule tonight three banners. That's our last one. Three banners. Three signs. And Paul is going to challenge us of what to expect in the body of Christ who claims who claims to preach the everlasting gospel. What we saw last night is that he tells the church, you need to know those who work hard among you. But then he turns to that group again, the body of Christ, the church. And he begins to describe what life is like in the church. Not among the leaders. And there's one thing that's real clear to Paul. Leaders do not monopolize ministry. Leaders multiply ministry. We say that again. Leaders do not monopolize ministry. Leaders multiply ministry. And Paul wants us to see, I think, and he wants it to be very clear, that as a church, we not only preach the gospel, we are continually healed by the gospel. You know that? That it's not just something we preach to others, but the gospel has an influence, an effect on my life. And when we come together as the body of Christ, that the gospel is very much at work at healing among the body of Christ. In Second, in First Thessalonians chapter 2, I want us to take a look for just a moment at the first banner. First thing I think Paul says that we can expect in this first century body of believers who call themselves Adventists and I think should be expected of us today. Would you notice what it says beginning in verse 13? Hold them in your highest regard in love because of of their work 
and live in peace with each other. He's talking about the body of Christ relating to their leaders. And did you hear what he says? Live in what? Peace. What do you think maybe has been taking place? Why is that admonition there? But I want you to notice something with me if you would. What does it look like in the body of Christ, beginning in verse 14? And now we urge you, brothers, us, not talking to leaders, talking to us in the body of Christ. Notice what he says. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. Do you know that this is a big problem in Thessalonica? In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul has to come back to it again uh, in 2 Thessalonians 3. It takes up almost a whole chapter. And I want you to notice how he defines those that are idle. That's an interesting term. It's a, uh, it's a military term that means out of step. Now, I'll date myself. When I was a little kid, I used to watch Gomer Pyle, USMC. You never saw that, didn't you? Did you ever see Gomer March, huh? When everybody else was March, he is just, he's out of step. That's the word. That's the word that's used here, literally. That there are those in the body of Christ who are not representing it correctly. We're not talking about uniformity here. But we are talking about unity of purpose and mission. And he says that there are those, and I want you to notice what he calls them and I'm sure we don't have these, any of these anymore in the body of Christ. But in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, would you notice what he says about him? He begins in verse 6. We're going to jump down to verse 11. We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. They are what? Busy body. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? That there's some folks in the body of Christ who are very busy, but they're not busy about what God has called them to do. Now, I know that's not a problem we have, do we, in the body of Christ today. But that's a problem they have, and, and they call them idle. Do you know, in our history, there are those who went through what we called the Great Disappointment in 1844. And there were those who went through that and came through afterwards and came to the conclusion Jesus did come. He came spiritually. And we are in the kingdom of God now, spiritually. And you know what they began to do, some of them? Crawl around like little babies on their hands and knees. Because they were already in the kingdom and children of God. You know what others did? They stopped working. There was even a group called the non-working Adventist. <laughs> Jesus has already come. My responsibilities on this earth are not significant. These no-work folks. Paul has a solution for that. And the solution is this. Chapter 3, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. You don't work, you don't what? That will motivate you. Amen? Yeah. Isn't it interesting that even there and then, there are those who thought that they had become... Um, so holy that they no longer had any responsibilities in the body of Christ. You know, in Matthew chapter 5, in the Beatitudes, soon as the Beatitudes are finished, Jesus says, you are the what? Salt of the earth. 
Very first words out of his mouth. You are the salt. Tremendous potential. And then the next word after that is the word but. Huh? You've never heard that used before? You know, when you were younger and you were dating and that person said to you, I really like you, but you know where that's going, don't you? Huh? You're a very valuable employee, but (laughs) yeah. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. Tremendous potential, but salt that has lost its savor cannot be resalted again. My Greek students are surprised when they translate that word lost its savor because we don't know what to do with it. And you know the English word for it. Even the Greek word sounds like the word there for losing the savor, moronthe. Moronthe. Are you hearing something coming through? Moron. That a person who has lost their, their purpose. He's, God says, Jesus says that Christians are like salt. How's that? Oh, salt has so many purposes. You know, it enhances, it preserves, it melts the cold. There's so many things that it can do. But salt can lose its purpose. And there's a little hint in that passage that it's foolishness when that happens. That God has given so much purpose and potential and we waste it on ourselves. Flying out of Dallas, you take off and you know how these planes are. They circle around a couple times to get in the right direction. And you first take off and they take off in one air uh, strip. You fly over a really nice section of homes, big homes little blue swimming pools beside them. You know, you see that. You fly over that. And then sometimes they circle on around to get the right direction. You come back around again and you look down. And those are just little tiny boxes with a little blue dot. And I'm sitting there in that airplane, comfortable, looking at the horizons and all that's out there. And I'm thinking to myself, could it be possible that someone would squander and live their whole life to own that little tiny square in the blue dot and miss all that God has to give. I think that's called foolishness, don't you? I'll even use the word my mother never let me use. Stupidity, right? You're not allowed to call somebody that. But that's the word moronthe. That's what's happening with these, these idleness people. They have lost their purpose forgot their reason, and so now they're in your business. It happened in the first century. I'm sure it doesn't happen, at least not in California. It happens in other places. There are those who are idle. And and listen to what Paul says. See, he's talking about the banner over the church. And he says, church body, not church leaders. Church bodies. You're the one that needs to admonish those that are idle. You're the one that needs to take the word and show from Scripture what God's plan is like for His church. But that's not all. Would you notice what else is expected in the body of Christ? We're talking about labeling here and and, and, uh, this idea of branding. Do you see what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5? And look at the rest of this verse. Warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid. That's the ones that have just a little bit of life left in them. They've been dealt some hard blows, have been discouraged. It, it says here that 
that the part of the responsibility of the body of Christ, what you can expect when you're with this body, that you can be encouraged and you will help the weak. That when they see that sign that says Adventist, do they know that if they come in there timid and weak and hurting, that this is a spiritual hospital? Leslie and I, I had a student uh, that came to me one day after class and said, Pastor Kilgore, I'm, I'm going to get baptized. And I'd like for you and your wife to come to the baptism. They said it's a, several hours away, but I really would like you to have you there. And so we did. We went. Leslie and I went down Sabbath morning to this baptism in this church. This was her home church. She was there at school. And we went to that baptism and witnessed that baptism. But that's as thrilling as that was, what really caught my attention is that there were two people baptized that day. One of my students. And then another young girl that looks like she was maybe 16 or 17 years old. And you know how afterwards everybody was singing a hymn and everybody's getting dried off. And then they come up and uh, they introduce everybody to the church. And then that little 16, 17-year-old girl comes up. Hair is still wet. Somebody brings a baby up and puts it in her arms. There's nobody else standing up there with her. It's just her and the baby. Then I saw one of the elders of that church who I know walked up and took the mic and talked about how excited they were for these two baptisms and how excited they were for the young girl that was at Southwestern Adventist University and how excited they were for this other young girl. And then he said to the church, Now, church, you know now we have some responsibilities. You know what he said? He said... uh, and he mentioned her name and said, she's going to try to go to the local junior college. We're going to need a little babysitting. Hmm? So we're going to have a sign-up sheet out in the foyer where people can do some baby. And, and I want this young girl to know that this child will go to church school. Are you listening to me? I sat there and I had never seen anything like that in my life. That church helping a person's life who was obvious had taken a turn they hadn't planned on. But I want you to know that there's no better place to be than in the family of God when that happens. Amen? And I saw that. And I thought to myself, here is the body of Christ that has a banner that says ministry happens here. What if, and I always wondered if I did wood burning, I'd love to make this sign, this wood burning sign. What if you had this In your church, when you first walked in, this is the first thing people saw. Would you look in verse 15? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15. What if this was the first sign people saw when they walked in your church? Burning wood. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. But always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. What if that was the sign that people saw when they walked in your church? I think people would say, I am in the right place. That this is the place I need it. What if we had that? What if that was over our board meeting doors? Church school, you know. Everywhere we went, this sign, that was our motto. That was our branding. That's what happens here. That's that first banner. That first banner is how we do ministry in this place. And wouldn't that be something? If that's what happened Everywhere you went and there was an Adventist church, 
you could expect that. Not only that, there's another banner. And this one has to deal not with ministry, but with worship. Would you look at this with me for just a moment? Uh, Beginning in verse 16. This is a verse that sometimes gives us problems. Because we think it's not realistic. How could this ever happen? Look at verse 16. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, we have a little problem here. Because in English, the word you in English is the same word for singular and plural, right? You. Now, you you have a problem. We don't have a problem where I'm from. It's you and y'all, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what they said when I was a little kid. Said the, the northern girls said, you may kiss me. The southern girls said, y'all may kiss me. <laughs> you know, this idea of, uh, of y'all, there's a plural there. And that's what you have going on here. This is not referring simply to us individually. This is an atmosphere that's created in the body of Christ. It's plural. It's y'all. That this is what we can expect in worship. Are you listening? That we can expect in worship that regardless of what kind of day you've had or where you've been, when you come together with the body of Christ, it's a place where you can find joy. Now, there's a difference between joy and happiness. Happiness comes from the word happenstance, which means now and then. But joy in the Bible is not the absence of problems. It's the presence of God, right? That we can have joy regardless of what happens. This is talking about worship. That in the body of Christ, that this is a place where regardless of what's happening in your life, there's joy that you can have in Christ. You can pray continually. There's nothing that can hinder you. And we will encourage you. You know, I stand up here to preach and it scares me to death. It really does. I still get knots in my stomach. But let me tell you what gives me so much courage. I've got some little old ladies back home, and Leslie knows who they are, back in our home church, who tell me every time they see me, Pastor, see, I taught their grandkids. And they, and they, they called me and they said, Pastor, I want you to know something. We will pray for you every day the rest of our lives. You know what that does for me? Makes me bold. (laughs) I mean, there are people you don't even know who are praying for these meetings tonight for God's Holy Spirit to be here. Amen? I know you've prayed, but there are others who are praying. Isn't that powerful to be part of the body of Christ? Now, I want you to notice what this doesn't say. This doesn't say to give thanks for every circumstance, but to give thanks what? In every circumstance. <laughs> a couple of weeks from now, i got to do that thing that some of you all have done before. It's called a PET scan, huh? And uh, got to go back into that tube again. Makes me a little paranoid to crawl into that thing. Especially when I saw on the news that in one place, a lady had a PET scan at the end of the day, and they forgot her. <laughs> they did. Put her back in that tube. Must have been, I don't know, 4.30 or so. About 6 o'clock, she crawls out. Had to call the police to come and get her. Oh, that's that. I only get early morning pet scans. I don't go at night. 
They're not leaving me stuck in that thing. <laughs> but I want to tell you something about those PET scans that I've learned. And I believe this with all my heart. That there's nothing those scans are going to show those doctors that my God doesn't already know. Amen? And he doesn't have a plan for. Oh, I've been embarrassed since I've had cancer. Of the way people have hugged on my neck and loved me. I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to be the one giving. I mean, I just got people that just, they just tell me they love me. You know what that does to you? They love and that they're praying for you every day. You know, some people say, well, I don't know if you should go to church. I feel sorry for people that are not part of the body of Christ. Don't you? We need that kind of fellowship. That I know that there's people. I know my wife loves me. My children love me. But I have a bigger family. And it makes me diligent. Because I have a list of people that are on that list. And I pray for them every day. See, that's what it means. That's what you can expect. That's what Paul says in the body of Christ. That we can expect that. Now I want to finish here in this last part. Because there's more when he talks about worship. Would you notice this next section? Verse 19, he says this. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Don't squelch the Spirit. Evidently, there are some things happening in this early Christian church. Some things that maybe were not right. But some things were right. They were just different. And there is a caution here. Be careful just writing everything off that may be new to you. Be careful in squelching that spirit. There's a person in the Bible that I just wish I I, I had the characteristics of that person. Turn with me to the book of Acts for just a second. Acts chapter uh, 11. You know, as the church begins to grow, and because of persecution... This church is being pushed into the outer edges of the Roman Empire. And it started in Jerusalem and Judea. But would you notice what happens in Acts chapter 11? Beginning in verse 19. Acts eleven nineteen. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, telling the message only to the Jews. Watch with me. But some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 21, And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. This had never happened before. Some folks started getting nervous up in Jerusalem. Do you notice the next verse? Verse 22. Now news of this reached the ears of what? Church Church at Jerusalem. And they sent who? Barnabas to Antioch. Now remember, Barnabas is a Christian. Used to be a Jew, but Barnabas is a Christian. Now, there are no second generation Christians at this time. The church is just starting. And Barnabas has been accustomed to what happened at Pentecost. He saw it happen there. And now the word's coming in that this is happening among the Gentiles. Barnabas, go check this out for us. Would you notice what it says here? Look, if you would, verse 23. 
And when he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He looked at it. It wasn't the way we do things at home. But he saw it was of God. What a heart to have that kind of experience, right? To be able to look at something. And notice what else it says about him. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. Some of us are full of a lot of stuff, but full of the Holy Spirit, right? And faith. And a great number of people were baptized. I love that. They, a great number of the people were brought to the Lord. There's an exciting thing that happens here with Barnabas. He has this ability to look at something through a fresh set of eyes and can discern. Uh, it says in the next verse there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that not only should they not quench the spirit, they shouldn't despise prophecy. Now why in the world would somebody despise prophecy? I uh, preached a few weeks ago about the second coming of Jesus and the center of the cross being at the heart of the second coming of Jesus in a church that I was, we were on vacation. I had a chance to preach there. And I got a text while I was here. And it was from a fellow and he said, Pastor, it just warmed my heart to hear the word of God and, and the hope that we can have in Christ with the coming of Jesus. And then he began to say, my mom and dad follow this guy. And, and they don't even talk. My parents don't even talk to us anymore. Because they become so holy and so right. And I know this man. I've been in churches over the past 20 years and he has torn up. Everywhere he goes, splits people against people. And he says it's a shaking. I want to tell you it's a sin. I'm not judging him. And this is the problem. This is the problem we have. See, when we talk about don't quench the spirit and don't despise prophecy, there is a difference in the Bible between judgment and discernment. Are you with me? Judgment deals with final outcomes. I cannot say, regardless of a person's lifestyle, that they will not be in the kingdom of God. I cannot make final judgment. But i tell you what I can do. By their fruits, you what? You shall know them. You know, I tell our students, oh, you can't judge. They say, let me tell you something. If you've got a friend and you love them and then you know they're going down a path that's harmful to them and to others, you have an opportunity and a responsibility in love. I'm not judging you and saying that the final outcome of your life, I don't know what it will be, but I tell you this, you're going down a road that's dangerous. Tell them that. Can we do that, church? In love. There's a difference between judgment and discernment. And this church here is a church that's being called to make discernments. That if it's not according to the Word of God. In fact, that's what verse 21 says. Do you see it? It says that we're to do what? To test. Do you see that in 521? That we're to test. And those things that are good, what are we supposed to do? Hold on to them. But to not even have an appearance of evil. Do you know when it comes to sin, there's no such thing as moderation. Hmm? Yeah. Are you being a legalist? I'm not being a legalist. I am saved by grace. But if a person has been saved by grace, 
then God wants that grace-filled life to make a statement to the rest of the world that any life can change. Did you see that in 1 Corinthians this morning? These are the folks in that church. We need to know that being a Christian and being a Christian that believes in the coming of Jesus, we have a banner across our churches that people can come in here it's a safe place to be. It's a place not only where you'll be helped in the healing process, it's a place where you'll be taught and instructed. One of my favorite texts in the Bible, and I'm about done here, is Hebrews 10.4. Uh, Paul wrote this, Hebrews 10.14. I want you to see, I think this is what Paul's talking about. Would you turn with me to Hebrews for just a moment? Hebrews chapter 10. You see, that's the chapter that's talking about Christ's sacrifice Once and for all for us. Hebrews chapter 10. There's just one sacrifice. Christ's death on the cross. That's that blood that washed us. Remember in 1 Corinthians 6? Would you notice verse 14? Watch this carefully. Because by one sacrifice, He has made perfect forever those who are being made perfect. Did you hear this? By one sacrifice, the death of Christ, His blood, covers my life. That's the robe of Christ's righteousness, covers me. And then underneath of that robe, He recovers me. Are you listening? It's under that, that those that He has made perfect, for He is making perfect. When that prodigal son came home, the smell of the, of the, of the pigsty, All over him. You remember what that father did? Bring me that robe. Fell on his neck and kissed him. Put that robe around him. You know why? To keep out prying eyes. But I want to tell you something. The father loves us just the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. And let me tell you what the father did with that boy. Now, I don't know how you pronounce it here, but I think he took him to the creek. Is it a creek? Creek? I don't know. He took him to water, didn't he? Huh? I think he covered him with that robe so he could take him and clean him. And that's what God has planned for the body of Christ. Is that he covers us with the robe of his righteousness. And guess what he uses to recover? The body of Christ. In the body of Christ, we get to be a part of that recovering process in people's lives. Isn't that exciting? I mean, I I was just overlooking at this little baby. You know, I'll brag a little for you, uh, uh, Brother Bunch. You know, just looking at that. uh, I think he was stopping everybody. I walked down. He said, have you seen the baby yet? I said, no. I don't know if he did 10 or 12 others. I don't know if it was a tour or what it was, but he was taking us by the baby. (laughs) No, (laughs) we loved it. We loved it. But let me tell you, What a joy it is, isn't it? Not just with the birth of that baby, but the growth of that baby and the maturity and to see it as it begins to grow and develop. That's what the body of Christ is like. Listen to this. God entrusts those He loves to those who love Him. I didn't make that up. I heard that from Louis Vinden 20 years ago. That God entrusts those He loves to those who love Him. Do you know 
that in the body of Christ, God is entrusting people to us. Because he knows you love him, you'll love them. Amen? You see, that's the banner. That's what he's calling us to do. That's what he wants these Adventist churches to look like. Places where people can come and find out about this healing, this covering of Christ's righteousness, and begin to experience the recovering in their lives. I'm excited because I really believe that these banners are God's intentions for His church. He, want, he wants us to be a place where healing takes place. He wants us to be a place where people can come and know here, this is a safe place. They'll be instructed. It may even be corrected, right? may even have to be rebuked. But it's done in love. And it's because this body loves them. This is the last banner. We're going to finish with this. And I love this. Would you look with me in 1 Thessalonians again? In the last verse we're going to look at tonight, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And look, if you would, in verse 23. May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I love this next verse. The one who calls you is what? Faithful, can be trusted, and he will do it. Is that something that is clear in our churches? That this God who has called us, he will do what he has promised that he would do. You know, as I was listening uh, to, to Wedgwood, it, it really took me back a number of years. Now, this, this was not a Christian song, but it really did capture in the 60s and 70s this feeling of, of wanting to know if you could ever be accepted. That could you be forgiven, even if you've done horrible things in your life. And so it was a catchy little tune put out by... Tony Alondo and Don. <laughs> Some of you maybe know where I'm going. Listen to this. Evidently, this fellow had committed a crime, humiliated his family, embarrassed everybody, and gone to prison. And he served his time. And it was time for him to get out. And he wrote a letter to the love of his life. And this is what he said. I'm coming home. I've done my time. And now I've got to know what is and, and isn't mine. If you receive my letters telling you how I'll soon be free, then you'll know just what to do if you still want me. If you still want me. Oh, tie a yellow ribbon around that old oak tree. It's been three long years. Do you still want me? Now listen. If I don't see a ribbon around that old oak tree, I'll stay on the bus. I'll forget about us. I'll put the blame on me. If I don't see a yellow ribbon around that old oak tree. You get the picture that when he leaves the prison on that bus, he's coming down the road and they turn down the lane to go down towards where his house is, that he can see it in the distance. And he's asked, 
Is there any way that you can forgive? You know what I have done. I have served my time. I have met the legal. But is there any grace here? Can I be forgiven? He starts talking to the bus driver. Bus driver, please look for me because I can't bear to see what I might see. Listen, I'm really still in prison. And my love, she holds the key. A simple yellow ribbon is what I need to set me free. So I wrote her, please, tie a yellow ribbon around that old oak tree. It's been three long years. Do you still love me? If I don't see a ribbon around that old oak tree, I'll stay on the bus. I'll forget about us. I'll put the blame on me if I don't see a yellow ribbon around that old oak tree. In the last stanza, it's ecstatic. <laughs> He's on that bus and he says, the whole, he says, now the whole bus is cheering. I can't believe what I see. A hundred yellow ribbons. <laughs> On that old oak tree. Beyond a shadow of a doubt. Every branch. Every nook. Every cranny. Yes. 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 You're home. We love you. This is where you should be. And tonight. That's my invitation here for you. That there may be some here. That are still in prison. (laughs) Because they've never yet accepted that pardoning, that forgiveness that only Jesus can give. And I want you to know tonight that the cross, the cross is that oak tree. And it demonstrates again and again and again, I love you. I will forgive you. I will make you part of my family. You're mine. I died for you. And so tonight, I'm going to ask you if you would stand with me, please. <clears throat> I'm going to pray. And I just, I just praise God tonight for His Spirit being here. Don't you? Aren't you thankful? I, I will never be the same having been up here. It has nothing to do with the temperature outside. It has an awful lot to do with the temperature in here. Amen? The, 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 the fellowship and the warmth that I've sensed here. I believe Jesus is coming soon. And I believe that there are people in our communities and in our churches that have heard this for a long time, but they're still in prison. They've never known this amazing grace that changes lives and churches. Let's be ambassadors for Jesus. Amen? When we leave this place, let's just ask God to use us where we live. And so tonight I'm going to pray with us as we finish our campment here. But as soon as I finish, Pastor Torkless and I are going to walk right outside the tent to the south side because it's sundown. They're going to move quick in here. And if you would like to come and pray with us, if you're just saying, Lord, I need that freedom. Never had it or maybe once had it in law, that's what we're here for. There's nothing more important. And so if you'll just step outside the tent and join us there, we'll pray with you tonight. God has something to say to you this evening. Welcome home. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I thank you so much for each person that's here tonight. I don't believe in luck and chance. I believe that each one of us are here for a reason and a purpose. And Lord, I just pray tonight that if there's someone here that's still carrying a burden and wondering, is there any place I can be that I could be accepted and find a community of believers? May the banners hang in our lives and in our churches 
And may others see that it's at this place, it's in our fellowship, that we can have the healing and we can be the family and that we can wait for your coming. I pray for those tonight that will travel. I pray for the work that has to be done in the tearing down. But I just ask that your Holy Spirit ride with us. Don't let us go home and be the same way we were when we came. To situations that may seem impossible, Lord, you're the God of that. Make us instruments in your hands for change. Thank you tonight for what you have done in this tent this week all day. And in the little tents with these kids, some of these things they will remember for the rest of their lives. To you be the honor and the glory and the power in Jesus' name. Amen.